Hello and welcome to the Farm Reform Podcast. I'm Jonah Comstock, Editor-in-Chief at Farm Reform, and I'm joined today by your whole Farm Reform editorial team, uh, Eloise McLennan, Deep Dive Editor. Hey, Eloise. Hello. And Nicole Raleigh, our web editor. Hi, Nicole. Hello. So we have actually now, uh, about a week or so ago, uh, returned from Frontiers Health in Rome. Uh, Eloise and Nicole were there on the ground. I was covering it virtually. Um, as we have done last year and hope to do every year, as, as long as uh, our publication is associated with this great event, um, we want to talk a little bit about some of the things we heard there, uh, some of the things that really caught our interest. And uh, as we get on towards the end of the year, um, th- th- let this also sort of be the beginning of our uh, year recap, looking ahead content um, and see sort of how some of those ideas emerged at the show. So. Uh, I don't know if if one of you wants to volunteer to start, but uh, let's just start with kind of a a snapshot of the event. What was it like? What what were the some of the themes that people were talking about the most? Um, you know, what kind of characterized it for you? I think in terms of because it was it was my first uh, time at the event. It was really alive. There was a lot of elect- there was an electricity in the air that I wasn't expecting per se. Um, and I think that really surrounds the ideas that we discuss in digital health. There just seems to be that energy that we're moving forward at quite a consistent pace. And no one really knows what the next huge innovation is going to be that's going to take us down a completely different avenue. I think for, for me, I was really interested in just how much focus there was on self-care and the idea of of moving treatment outside of primary and secondary sites, even just moving more towards the primary sites, towards pharmacies and towards the home as well. I thought that was that was really interesting. Interesting. And that's in addition to just sort of the digital health, digital therapeutics, but also these sort of non-traditional sites. Well, it was it was enabled by digital therapeutics and it was enabled by technology. You've got things like remote monitoring now. Um and getting that real world data through sort of digital apps where patients can upload their own information. Um, there was a really interesting opening presentation from, um, I think it was closed loop medicine where they were talking about how digital apps can be used to help improve the dosage so that you are giving people the right dose for them, which, so he was talking about, um, the idea that women are largely given the incorrect dose for them physically because the large amount of doses were tested on on male figures so it's it that kind of innovation that can help to improve the wider healthcare landscape in different areas i thought that was really interesting yeah as you say this energy and obviously it's moved towards encompassing global health now not just digital health and as you were saying um hakim yadi the ceo of closed loop medicine is very much about precision medicine. But if we go back to um, the event's concentration on digital health, obviously there was the inaugural Digital Medicine and DTX Global Policy Summit this time that uh, closed the event and uh, more of a concentrated discussion around the policies and regulations that are needed in order to really cement this digital health in the healthcare setting. And that's from a global perspective, the policies and regulations okay. in all the different mm-hmm. countries. Yes, absolutely. Germany, France, US, uh, into the Middle East, Korea, 
So taking in APAC, it's certainly global is the key word this year, in addition to digital at Frontiers Health. And what what were some of the, the particular issues that, that that policy summit was most concerned with? Were they talking about reimbursement, regulation? Was there anything very new and recent that came up a lot? All that jazz, to be honest with you. It's the thing with these events is there's always discussion about what's needed. But certainly with the energy at Frontiers Health this year, there was this um, elbowing into action as well. So policies, regulations, the difficulties therein, um, geographically dictated, governmentally dictated, these were all being discussed at the summit. So one thing that was at some of the sessions I virtually attended, and I don't know if you guys were in the room for any of these either, but um, was the World Economic Forum was there. Um, and they were talking about their uh, zero gap pledge, where they're trying to get corporations to sign on to a pledge to help eliminate uh, health equity gaps. Um, and uh, and so there was uh, Frontiers always has a strong focus on on health equity. Tony Estrella always runs that track. Um, but I thought that this year was was no exception. And it was really interesting to get a heavy hitter like the World Economic Forum and their sort of really driving forward on health equity. I was wondering if any, anything you guys heard on that topic was of interest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of, the, one of the ones that springs to mind was a, a discussion about healthcare in Canada and how digital health was helping to improve accessibility for populations who maybe live really far north, who for whom going to the hospital is going to be an hour commute there and back to see a specific specialist. And the fact that there are fewer specialists who are training at the moment, we are sort of facing a, a real staffing shortage in a number of areas. But there are areas where digital health can be used to almost fill that gap with the, the specialists that we have now can inform the, the tools which then other healthcare providers can, can learn from, can use as a resource and can then help to, to improve healthcare for a wider range of people who might not be able to access traditional means of healthcare. Another thing um, that always gets a lot of play at Frontiers is the investor side, right? Um, especially around digital health, digital therapeutics. This has been sort of a, a rough year um, for the markets. And so there hasn't been as much funding, but also it's been interesting to see where the funding has been around AI and around some aspects of digital and certainly uh, some, some biotech deals. Um, were either of you in, in any kind of investor-focused sessions or hear a lot of anything about that kind of side of the industry? I think it's still a go. Yes, I caught the um, the AI track with its investment focus, and certainly the companies presenting therein very much au fait with the realities of the environment as it stood, but also aware of what their products permit going forward. So it's a healthy balance in not being distracted by a hiccup, which has been digital health's journey from year dot. It is circumventing the challenges, believing in what you're doing, in what you're bringing to market and going forward because there's always an ebb and flow in the market. Um, so yes, yeah, still positivity. Just to, to add to that, um, I was also in a, in a track where they were talking about 
you can learn a lot from failure. And with digital health, because the investment landscape has been really new and anything new is quite fragile. So any real signs that there were risks beyond what investors were accepting or understood and healthcare is a hugely risky investment landscape. We all know that. Um, but learning from places like Amazon, not everybody likes the Amazon model and I completely understand that, but it is a really good example of how a big company can fail and learn from those failings. So Amazon years ago tried to get into the pharmaceutical market and it didn't work. And now if you look at their, their three suite of products, they're now targeting primary care. They're targeting education online. They've got Amazon Pharmacy. You can now order uh, drugs to be delivered to your house. It's a really rounded uh, model now. But if you only looked at their failure, then it would look like an incredibly risky investment. So I think um, one of the key things that I took away was that you can learn as much from failing or I don't even think failing is the right word to use. It's a hurdle, a, a stumbling block. And sharing those stories is going to help strengthen the market overall. And I think, I think that's a really important lesson to learn. At the uh, DTX East Summit earlier this year in Boston, um, you know, mentioning failure, obviously, that, that event was really um, overshadowed sort of by the recent failure of paratherapeutics and people trying to take away what lessons they could learn about digital therapeutics from from that. And then also Akili, which hasn't failed per se, but they did make a big uh, kind of eyebrow raising pivot into the over the counter um, from the prescription. So one thing related to investment that, that was said about pair at DTX East that I thought was interesting was that the notion that um, too much money can really be a trap in this industry where sometimes you need to go slowly, right? You have to build up your efficacy data. You have to build up your reimbursement pipeline. You have to build up your adoption base. And one theory of the case for Pair is that they just had so much investment from big VCs that wanted to see a return and wanted to see it quickly that then they lost the ability to have the patience that was needed to build a digital therapeutics business. And so I have heard, and I heard it echoed at Frontiers too in some of the sessions. Um, sometimes from people who were also at DTX. So I think it's kind of a, it's a, it's a through line, but this notion that, you know, yes, like grab the capital where you can, but be careful, like who you're getting into bed with and, and, and what their expectations are, um, lest it sort of, you know, that tail starts wagging the dog and it gets you in trouble. I think that's definitely something that I, that I heard mentioned at Frontiers, the idea that this is, again, as I say, relatively a new area for healthcare. And it's very easy to get overwhelmed with, with possibility, with opportunity. And particularly, as you say, stakeholders want results and they want results quickly. And that's not necessarily something that healthcare is known for. Healthcare is a relatively slow industry compared to, say, like automobiles or uh, like consumer goods. It's quite slow. So finding ways to showcase your progression can be a lot more streamlined if you have at the start that strategy where you're really selective about what you're choosing to focus on. And if you have so much opportunity that you don't 
you diversify so much that you don't have a clear path. I think that's where a lot of people can can run into to trouble when it comes to sort of DTX investment. Yeah, it's a case of not just hopping on the bandwagon, to be honest with you. <laughs> have a reason for utilising this technology has been repeated and repeated again. As you say, Eloise, the strategy, the brand planning, do you need it at this junction? If so, in what capacity? Um, yeah. To add to that, um, I think one thing I heard from investment investors echoes that statement of make sure you're getting into bed with the right people. Because you want, as a, as a company who's developing a product, you want to go into some, to, to the to an investment, to a partnership with people who know the area that you're working in, who understand the the risks involved, who understand maybe the, not the the nitty gritty of the the science behind it, but who have enough of an understanding that they'll be able to to work with you and they'll be able to advise you the best they can as well. And ethos alignment therein in that partnership. Oh, absolutely. Nicole, you mentioned that you were in an AI session. Obviously, AI, huge theme of the year, 2024. Um, I'm pro- I mean, 2023 and probably also 2024. Uh, we're in a moment of incredible, uh, like, watershed AI innovation. Um, and, but for healthcare, it's a little complicated. Um, there, are, there are ways in which we have to take care that maybe other industries can be a little more like, we'll throw in ChatGPT and see what happens. Um, so what did you hear? How are people thinking and talking about AI in the healthcare sphere? What were some of the most interesting use cases? Yeah, I think the important takeaway from that track was, as you say, this sort of the difficulties around patient safety and privacy when it comes to data. And data is the key word in that track. So you heard from people like um, Dr. Alison Darcy, Jeff Datchis, Anditya Prakash, and they were talking about the benefits of that technology, the benefits of their technology within management of chronic conditions like diabetes, for instance, or uh, you had robot health also speaking. Um, so you have good use cases for all this technology, um, but it's also a case of not losing the human element as well. So you've got data, you've got keeping human in the loop, um, especially with robot health um, product, you've got the therapist along with the chatbot. So it's a blend when it comes to healthcare, which is ever why it's so difficult and has so many challenges because it's not a simple route to the future. The future's here in little puzzle pieces, which everyone has to put together and they're not quite putting it together correctly at the moment. No, I, I completely agree with that. And um, I was I had the privilege of talking to, to Alison Darcy from, from Robot Health just before we went to Frontiers. And we were talking about the idea that AI at its core is a tool in, in the same way that an electric screwdriver is a tool. But if you use it in the wrong way, it's going to create havoc. If you just start rampantly going at a wall with an electric screwdriver, it's not going to do the thing that you're asking it to do. But if you know how to use it correctly, if you, if you train yourself to use it correctly, and if you apply what you know correctly, then you have far more chance of it's going to be easier for me to screw in 18 screws with an electric screwdriver that I'm using appropriately than it is for me to do it manually. And those, those minor tasks, those really, really 
bogged down tasks of, of repetitive data input, of finding those patterns that, that AI can do momentarily, or almost instantaneously, those are going to benefit uh, healthcare providers in that it, it frees them up. The, most thing, the, the thing I talk about the most with everybody that I interview is there just is not enough time in the day to get everything done to give patients the, the service that they need, the care that they need, and do all of the manual tasks they have to do. And I think that's one area where I've seen people really, really focus on AI is not this big, scary thing. If we use it right, if we can adapt our processes to incorporate it, but 100% with the supervisation and oversight of a real living person. Because it is a tool to be used rather than a tool to erase that person, I think. Absolutely. And this has been a common theme at other events outside of Frontiers Health this year. For instance, at the um, Anthropy 23 event at the Eden Project, um, I was speaking with Gavin Anderson of the Academy of Robotics. And uh, they've just come up with an NHS helpable. The one in the session was called Milton. And... As you say, Eloise, Milton. Milton, indeed. I know. Love the name. Um, he's a five foot tall green penguin. But anyway, coming away from that, back to our point, that aside, it's about this time aspect. And time is a precious commodity this day and age. And technology takes away, A, the mundane tasks that don't need to be done by a, train, a trained professional. And B, does the tasks which the human brain is just not capable of managing, these huge data sets that we have now, humans can't process that. You need the technology. It's interesting that we celebrate some forms of it. That I, I live very close to Bletchley Park and we just had that big AI conference, the, the International Summit. And talking about that right next to the bomb with an E, um, which was used to... <laughs> to decrypt ciphers during World War II. And that is essentially doing the same things that we're talking about in healthcare. It is taking a lot of information and processing it in a way that the human brain just would not be capable of. And I think that when you stop being able to see things working, it becomes much more of a challenge for us to really align ourselves with the idea that something is functioning, but it's not evil. It's not turning against us. But it's the black box problem. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the elves living in the walls that do my electricity kind of thing. I know that electricity is not out to get me or take away any of my information, but you can't see it. Well so you can't elves. see it. <laughs> it is done by elves. <laughs> the other thing I think that's interesting about AI is, is we've been using the term for so many years to refer to so many different things. And now we have this new thing, Gen AI, which is not new, but it's sort of newly available broadly. Um, and it's almost like we need more words to talk about. The, it's, it's like AI is so many things and can do so many things. It's almost like saying, how are you using the internet in healthcare? You know, how are you using computers? Like, well, a lot of ways, like, and also very, like, I think that some of the, like, the consumer-facing use cases, like, how is Wobot Health using AI, is such a different conversation than the, like, how is, you know, how are Accientia, you know, using AI to do drug discovery, like, 
apples and oranges. So I, I think we're going to start to move away from like the AI track to sort of like some of these more specific and hopefully, you know, we'll just get a, a larger vocabulary so we can talk about all the different facets of AI. What's interesting about hearing you say that is that something's just clicked in my brain is that I've seen a real trend of the names of AI products becoming much more human and for lack of a better word, rounded. So if you think of Gen AI, Gen AI sounds really harsh. It sounds like one of those um, sort of Skynet kind of things. It has that real cold tech implication. But um, as you say, you have the, the, what was it, five foot green penguin? Milton. Milton. So they have different names. It's not just Milton all the way through times a thousand. But that's the conversation to be had with the Academy of Robotics. I've I've seen a trend of adding that human emotive element into AI programs so that it is less abrasive to use. And I wonder if that's something that we're going to continue into is transferring almost away from the, the cold computer aspect of it, which it is. It is a computer system. And then moving more into the personified, the personality and the the sort of more um, personable elements of, of, yeah. of what it can be. I think we already are. Like if you go to the consumer level, you've got Siri, you've got Alexa. Um, so when we come back towards the AI, actually Dr. Andre Bates was discussing, and for the life of me, I couldn't tell you the name of the AI she was discussing, but it was named and it was used. It's used by Bank of America. I don't know if you two know which. I, I, I know what you're talking about. I can't for the life of me remember the name of it. No. So if you're listening, Andre, I do apologize, but you did make a big impression on our discussion. So this personalization does exist. Um, but as you say, Eloise, it needs to, it needs to intensify, not intensify to a movie, you know, Armageddon's on the horizon type level, but to become a karma in the conversation when the fear still lingers over what AI might cause. I think that's a really, really interesting point, particularly healthcare from a consumer point can be a really scary thing when you don't really know you get a mole that might look a bit different so you look at you look it up online and all of a sudden you need to start making funeral arrangements it's it's terrifying and you could feel completely in the dark and i think having uh, it, it's interesting that you you talk about balance i think that's going to be a real um, test for a lot of companies in the years coming is to whether or not they can actually strike that balance between being informative, being approachable and, and warm to the user, but not becoming condescending and or becoming like a, a less trusted resource because of the way that it's presented. I think that's going to be a real challenge. So we're coming sort of to the end of our, our podcast time. Um, what else did you guys hear at the show that was interesting? Um, what are you going to, you know, what were you walking away thinking about uh, in terms of, you know, some of the, anything, you know, said on stage, especially as we think about, you know, what we're going to be focusing on covering healthcare into 2024? I'd say what really struck home for me is a true shift to um, 
bringing into reality these dreams around precision medicine, the individual at centre, at focus, and seeing tangible outcomes from the work that is currently being undertaken by these companies. Um, there's a long way to go, but it's something we're certainly going to be following, reporting on, and keenly interested in, in 2024. I think I'd echo that statement. I think that the biggest takeaway I have is, is the idea that healthcare is now being brought to the patient rather than the patient going to healthcare. It's this sort of holistic environment where, where we look at preventative care rather than reactive care and where those interception points are, where we can talk to patients, engage with patients before it gets to drama time, we need to intervene right now. Um, and I think that's going to have a huge, huge implications as to, to how people are treated moving forward. It's exciting. It is exciting. And that also helps the burden on the healthcare system. Exactly. And it makes patients feel more involved in their care. It, it, it sort of breaks down those barriers. And that's another um, key, key takeaway that I had was there was a huge push for collaboration of this idea that we should be working together. How can our product work with your product? How can regulators work with developers to make sure that we're getting things to patients as soon as possible when they are adequately tested, when they are to a certain level where they're appropriate to be given to patients? But also keeping that patient not just in the conversation, but at the centre of the conversation. Yeah, that whole ecosystem ethos of industry, healthcare, and importantly, at centre, patient. All holding hands. Yeah, and, and I think one of the great things about Frontiers is that it has that global focus. And so they're able to have that conversation in a way that is not just limited to what's going on in the US or what's going on in Europe. And I think also when you think about the ecosystem, the ecosystem approach, um, there's this idea of systemic problems requiring systemic solutions, which in turn require collaboration to get to. There was a lot of talk about that and sort of the final takeaway panel was this sort of, how are we actually going to get from all these good ideas and good technologies to changing healthcare? We have to look at incentives and look at systems. And of course, that's where it gets very hard. But a lot of, I think, hope and optimism. We just need to transfer that to action. Hope and optimism is great. But if it stays hope and optimism, it's not that much use. Right. And I think we saw some signs of that. I mean, I think the, you know, the notion of sort of this pledge and having the World Economic Forum really get involved in making sure everyone is thinking about what they can do to improve health equity is a really good step forward. Yeah, bringing down the barriers and learnings, learning from others and to see how those can be implemented within the geopolitical environment. And then, of course, AI is such a big, you know, such a big shift and, and there's so many unknowns associated with it that it could really lead to rapid change and, and innovation in, in myriad ways over the next, you know, two years. So, Just the potential it, the potential it has to, to bring down the costs associated with drug discovery and drug um, of, of clinical trials, if you can create synthetic arms for, for, for clinical trials, then you can reduce the burden on patients. You can 
start to understand how likely it is your trial is going to succeed, whether or not you should invest in that particular place, or you cut your losses early on and you invest in something that's actually going to to make a difference. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you both so much for chatting with me. Um, thanks for going to the event. Um, those of you who are interested in hearing more, we have a whole spotlight page on, on Pharma Forum that'll be linked to in the description of this podcast. It includes our live blogs from day one and two of the conference, um, some of our coverage uh, before and after, including some video interviews with some of the folks that we've mentioned today. So please do check Can that. I make a shameless plug? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, We're also going to be featuring some of the Frontiers Health coverage in the upcoming edition of Deep Dive uh, if it is not already published when this is out. So please do check out the latest edition of Deep Dive as well. A shameless plug indeed. Cross promotion. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thank you both. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll have this um, all out before Frontiers is too far in the rearview mirror. Yes, definitely before 2024. Thank you, Jonah. Thank you. That concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins and to follow us on Twitter at at PharmaForum. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.